What is up, everybody? Welcome to a Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, football analyst and silent reporter John Harris for your Houston Texans. And man, has it been a crazy day. First of all, happy spring break to most everybody out there. I don't know everybody's. I know my kids, they go to two different schools, and they're both on spring break this week. I know a lot of people are. And if traffic is any indication this morning, all of you are on spring break, or so it seems. Well, I know there's no spring break here in this building, that's for sure. With over $60 million in cap room, the legal tampering period started this afternoon, and oh boy, the rumors have already been flying. We're going to get into those uh, in just a little bit, but later in the show, we're going to have Brian Gain at the Combine. This obviously is a big week for the first-time general manager for the Houston Texans, and he is leading a free agent shopping spree. Is that the way to put it, I guess? If you got money, I guess you're on a shopping spree. Uh, he and Bill O'Brien going out looking for some groceries to add to the roster. Is the right way of saying that? I guess that's an old thing with the Patriots when Bill Parcells was like, look, if I'm going to cook the dinner, I ought to be able to shop for the groceries. Well, the Texans are out shopping for groceries to hopefully make a fine, fine dinner. So we'll have Brian Gain from the Combine. We talked about the free agency period, talked about the Combine, uh, what to anticipate coming out of that and why it was important to go to the Senior Bowl, et cetera. So we'll have our conversation with Brian Gain from the Combine in our second hour. And then in our third hour, or third hour, in our second segment, and then our last segment of the show, I'll go through some of the questions that I I have not, I've gotten a few questions on Twitter, but I feel like there's a lot of myth busting that maybe I need to do a little bit, and I'm going to do it on radio because I just didn't feel like getting into it uh, on Twitter over the weekend. But I'll tell you this. Here, this this is the way, kind of how I assess this, to be honest with you. Over the weekend, I I don't know that I had it. I don't know that I tweeted once. I don't think I tweeted one time that I can think of. I retweeted a couple things because Mark Vandermeer, the Washington Texans, did the Southland Conference championship game and uh, with John Lopez, and so I retweeted that. My buddy Doug Leishner is coaching over in China. He coached the Guangzhou Long Lions in the CBA, the Chinese Basketball Association, so I tweeted that. Uh, I retweeted DP's uh, at Deep Slant article, which is fantastic. It is so good. Keeps you up to date on where Deshaun is, what's going on, social media, some really good stuff in that. I retweeted that. Uh, And then on Friday... All access, I tweeted about all access. That's it. That's that's all that I tweeted. I didn't tweet anything else but that. And that's kind of been my MO lately. Just, I don't know, just kind of gotten in that, that mode of not really wanting to get into things and tweeting things. And there have been a lot of things I've wanted to tweet. Like Tiger. How about this? So yesterday I'm watching Tiger. We'll get this little tangent and then we'll get into things. I'm watching Tiger. I'm watching, I think, from hole five on. 17 on that par three. He's down two shots. He hits the shot on the green, and I'm like, all right, I'm out. He's like 45 feet away. I'm like, I'm out. I get in a car. As soon as I get in a car, I just see all these tweets. Tiger, capital letters. I'm like, oh, no, what did he do? He nails the putt. Goes to 18 with a shot. That th- I mean, I'm telling you. And I was going to tweet this. I don't watch golf, but I'll watch Tiger. And I have respect for the guys that do golf, but I just – Sitting now watching golf on a Sunday, nah, it's not going to happen. But I'll watch Tiger. Tiger's in the, the final twosome 
the final duo, I'll watch him. Either way. So there's some things I wanted to tweet, but I didn't. But I somehow, some way, and I know why and how, my my Twitter handle will get lumped into all these different discussions. And I sit there, I read everything. I see what people are saying. And I'm like, man, you know what? People are so off on their thinking. In certain, I mean, they're just having these conversations with one another, and I'm I'm included because they're responding and replying to a tweet from our Texans account, and the Texans account has mentioned me, and so I get mentioned. So I'm reading all this, and I'm like, my gosh, people are just, I don't know what they, I don't know what they think about. I really don't. So I figured my last segment I would do a little bit of myth busting, if you will, from some of the things that I've seen. Uh, over the last few days as it pertains to your Texans. But I figured to start off with craziness that has gone on from Friday afternoon until now. And a lot of it of a trade variety. A lot of it happening with the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns just went off the deep end. But probably in a good way, to be honest with you. Cleveland Browns traded for Tyrod Taylor. They traded for Demarius Randall. They traded Danny Shelton to the Patriots. They ended up trading for Jarvis Landry. That is going to be a team that when we saw him in October of 2017, right before the bye week, and it was 33-3 to before. I mean, and then it was cruise control for the rest of the game. That is going to be a different-looking squad. The wide receivers the Texans faced that day were Ricardo Lewis, Sammy Coates, I think, was the other receiver, and then the third receiver, I don't even remember who it was. The three receivers that the Texans will see when they face the Cleveland Browns are going to be Josh Gordon, Jarvis Landry, and Corey Coleman. Overnight, it changed. Duke Johnson in the backfield. They've got two top picks. They've got Tyrod Taylor to play quarterback. And look, Tyrod's not... The answer in the future. But to get that team on track and where it needs to go, I feel that's the right it's it's you gave up a third round pick for a guy that's won a lot of games, led his team to the playoffs last year in the AFC. Tyrod's gonna be a nice bridge to Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, whomever. And maybe somehow, some way the Browns end up with a quarterback and Saquon Barkley, and then that offense is changed for good. Maybe, and I saw this floated around, maybe the Browns end up looking at Bradley Chubb from NC State, that first-round pick. We've seen teams, <clears throat> Houston Texans in 2006, that have taken NC State linemen, defensive linemen at the top of the draft when nobody thought it was possible. It's a fait accompli, Reggie Bush, uh, Mario Williams. And it turned out, look, it turned out very well. Now, the Browns do have Miles Garrett. do have Jamie Collins on defense. Bradley Chubb will look good in that defense, but they need a quarterback. And they need somebody to tote the rock behind a pretty good offensive line. That offense is going to look remarkably different. And then defensively, they're going to take Demarius Randall, put on free safety. So now you got Demarius Randall with Jabril Peppers in the safety position. That place is starting to round into shape. They just need the one key piece like the Texans got at quarterback. And they get that piece. Cleveland is going to be a factor. Because I don't think the North, to be honest with you, is all that good. There's some news out of Cincinnati. Now, this could start to change things a little bit. But I don't think Baltimore's all that great. I don't think Cincinnati's that great. I mean, Cleveland's starting in the right direction with John Dorsey. Alonzo Highsmith went up there from the Green Bay Packers. 
Uh, used to work with Dorsey, so those guys working together, doing some good things up in Cleveland. Uh, Hugh Jackson's still the coach, so we'll see how long that goes. But Hugh's got a shot with Tyrod Taylor and these guys. Now, we all thought that the Browns were going to go for A.J. McCarron. Either way. But Texas is going to face the Browns, so it was interesting to see what the Browns were doing all weekend long. Then the Richard Sherman news came out of Seattle, and immediately the 49ers pounced. Now, the 49ers had some inherent advantages. Richard Sherman played his college ball at Stanford. He was doing his own deal. He was negotiating his own deal. The 49ers had more money to spend, I think, than anybody that was pursuing him. That's where Richard Sherman wanted to be, stay in California, stay in a division against the Seahawks. That seemed like something that he wanted. He signs a three-year deal negotiated by himself, his agent, himself, and he stays as a 49er. The West Coast place to be seemingly is San Francisco. So there was some early talk Saturday morning that the Texans were in the mix, at least showing interest in Richard Sherman. They were not able to do that. People ask me about Sherman. I said, yes, I'd kick the tires. Absolutely. She's talking about a guy 30 years old coming off an Achilles surgery, and then he had a second surgery. So maybe a blessing in disguise. We'll see. I still think Richard's going to be able to play, and I think he's going to play well. And if he wasn't going to go to the Titans, to the Colts, I was fine with him going to the 49ers. Just completely fine. So he goes out there. And Texas are not playing the NFC West this year, thank God, because the Rams are going to be a juggernaut. The Rams are going to be tough to beat as long as everybody stays healthy. The 49ers, that's going to be a will of battle between San Francisco and L.A. going forward. The Seahawks, that's going to be a tough one. They have gotten rid of Michael Bennett, went to the Eagles. Richard Sherman, they released. He goes to the 49ers. Earl Thomas is still there, but there's a lot of noise around Earl Thomas not wanting to be there. And that maybe he's up for a trade. But the Seahawks clearing house, so to speak. They do have their two linebackers. I still think they're very athletic up front, even without Michael Bennett. So I think the defense will be fine. They do need to find a secondary because the secondary is – I don't think there's a name back there that you would go, well, oh, oh yeah, him. No, you wouldn't recognize that. And that led to today. And the biggest move of the day is the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, the Bengals, and this is one of the things that we've talked about a lot because the Texans, without Dwayne Brown, five left tackles played there last year, desperately need a left tackle. Now, I don't know if the Texans were were in on this at all, if there was any discussion whatsoever, but the Buffalo Bills traded left tackle Cordy Glenn, who when he was coming out of Georgia, I thought, eh, he'll he'll go to guard. I don't think he's going to stay at tackle. But he ended up staying at tackle and ended up doing a pretty solid job for the Buffalo Bills. Look, he's not... He, he's not Dwayne Brown. He's not He's not Nate Solder. He's a good football player, and he's got played a lot of left tackle. And that's important because this is not a draft. This is really not a free agency period that's got a lot of bona fide insert at left tackle and leave them there for 16 games type players. So the Bills make a deal with the Bengals. The Bengals get Cordy Glenn. The Bills move up to 12, and the Bengals down to 21. The Bills had 21 and 22 in the first round. Now they've got number 12. They've got 12 and 22. And without Tyrod Taylor, the Bills need a quarterback. Are they in the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes? Probably not. Are they in the Case Keenum sweepstakes? Potentially, but I would say probably not. 
they're going to be looking for a young quarterback. And so at 12 and 22, now there's a little bit more ammunition to move up. And I've said all along, if you're moving up in this draft, get to spot number three. The Colts are willing, I think they're willing to deal. Now, you might want to go to two to be sure, but you want your guy at quarterback? You got to get you got to get to two or three, and I, I got a feeling that Chris Ballard with the Colts, he's ready to start spinning, uh, spinning for picks because they need players there. Pearl, plural. So Cordy Glenn goes to the Bengals. Texans will not face the Bengals this year, but will face the Bills. The Bills are going to look remarkably different from what they looked like. No Tyrod Taylor, probably playing a young guy, may take a step back this year, but they're doing it with the future. In mind. And then you have your Texans. And we'll handle some of those rumors. I'll talk about some of those in the next segment. Names that I've just seen. And again, these are rumors. But we heard from John McClain. He tweeted about a particular left tackle. There have been a few different tweets that I've seen from people saying the Texans are in the mix for Malcolm Butler. That would be interesting. And those are the ones people have said all along. Man, you get Solder and you get Butler. Boy, things change. But there's one other name that I thought was very intriguing to me, and I will explain next in addition to hearing from GM Brian Gain of the Houston Texans right here on Texans All Access. Free Agent Frenzy Monday. Am I going to say that tomorrow too? Free Agent Frenzy Tuesday? I don't know. Frenzy is probably the right word because it is unbelievable. Look, the NCAA tournament brackets were put out on Sunday. And when I turn on radio and I look on TV, you know what I hear people discussing? Free agency, trades. That's what I hear people talking about. The NFL has again commandeered the focus back onto them instead of where it really always is in March on the NCAA tournament. Now, that'll pick back up on Thursday. But then again, Thursday, the NFL is going to be hot and heavy with signings. They can be official on Wednesday. That is definitely something to keep in mind. We're going to hear from Brian Gain here in just a second. But I know probably like me, you guys were scouring your social media option of choice. Your social media option, I should say. Looking for any bit of rumors you can get your hands on. Then you start thinking about, man, what does that mean? Okay, if this is true, then what does that all mean? Look, nothing can happen officially until Wednesday at 3 o'clock Central. We've seen a lot of trades. Those trades could all fall through tonight. We've seen Marcus Peters going to the L.A. Rams. It could all fall through tonight. Nothing is official in any of those deals. Now, I don't think they're going to, but those it's, it's always a possibility. Alex Smith at some point could, could be thinking about it going, you know what, I don't want to go to Washington. That trade could blow up in everybody's face. So all these trades that you've heard about, nothing becomes official until Wednesday. Something to keep in mind. But either way, as it pertains to the Texans, Monday was an interesting day. John McClain, earlier today, and John, I would would say, is the one person that I will follow for pretty much anything, everything, everything. that matters has ha, this tweet from John McClain. He said, Texans are making a strong run at left tackle, Nate Solder. 
They're desperate for a new left tackle. They started five left tackles last season. So, saw that, and I thought that was like, okay, good. What we, ex- what we I think, wanted, what we expected, the Texans are definitely after that. Now, here is a monkey wrench that gets thrown into this. The Browns are waiting on Joe Thomas, and Joe Thomas could be a focal point because if Joe Thomas says, no, no, no I'm done, I'm going to stick with this podcast and do some analysis from one of the TV stations, the Browns have got a lot of money to spend. They may throw it at Nate Solder. But like I said a few weeks back, there are inherent advantages here with Houston, number one, because Solder is going to know the terminology. He knows Bill. Uh, he knows some of the Patriot uh some of the coaches that have been with the Patriots prior to. So he has some experience with that, especially Bill O'Brien. Number two, his son has dealt with cancer, and there's no better place in the world than to be right here in Houston to have the the greatest care for a young cancer patient um, right here. Now, could mean totally nothing. Nate Soder could go back to New England. But to me, those advantages far away anything that Cleveland can throw I mean, money. Cleveland can throw money. There's no doubt. Now, the Texans aren't going to shortchange a contract either because they've got 60-plus million dollars. It's just the Browns have 110. Now, after Tyrod, I think it's down a little bit after some other deals. It's down a little bit. But Nate Solder in the crosshairs for the Texans, according to the general John McClain. Now, this came from Ian Rappaport. At least this was the first that I saw with Ian Rappaport. He said that the Texans are the favorites to sign former Chiefs offensive lineman Zach Fulton to a multi-year deal worth worth more than $7 million per year. Now, Rappaport said something that kind of got got under my, not under my skin, but it got me thinking because I saw a bunch of people react to this. And I'll explain this in a second. He said he should play center for them. Other teams are in the mix, but Houston's a likely landing spot. Now, I think what happens with Fulton is he ends up going to guard Nick Martin stays at center if if that indeed goes down. But if you start thinking about an offensive line with Solder left tackle, left guard Fulton, center Nick Martin, right guard Jeff Allen, right tackle Julian Davenport, if Davenport's made that year one to year two jump, if Jeff Allen could stay at right guard, stay healthy, be in condition, and Fulton comes along and gives them what they think they get out of out of him and why they would sign him for $7 million per for an interior offensive lineman, and then Solder's got another two, three years left in, you have made astronomical movement in your offensive line. Yes, that's a lot of money because you're going to have to pay $11, 12000000 million per plus for Nate Solder. For Zach Fulton, it sounds like $7 million per, but then again, You've got to do this. You've made the investment in Deshaun. Now make the investment to protect him. It's like having a million-dollar beach house, and you have no insurance. And you're like, I hope there's no hurricane. No, that's not the way you do it. You you get additional insurance. You get insurance on insurance. And going out and getting guys like Solder and Fulton will definitely, uh, could definitely satisfy that. So, a couple of rumors that are out there. Then this one from Mike Giardi. It was on top of John McClain's tweet. John said, Texans are looking at top corners. I expect them to spend a lot to improve O-line secondary. They need more talent and speed at defensive back. Now, we've known that for a while. John was just concluding his tweets with that one to let everybody know, hey, look, this all makes sense what they're doing. 
Mike Giardi, who is – he covers the Patriots for NBC Sports Boston and has been up there for a long time. Not the quarterback I faced when he was at Harvard, but his reporter of the same name said, source tells me Texans have reached out to Malcolm Butler. That's one I know a lot of people were very interested in. Hey, will they look at Mal- Malcolm Butler? What will, what's the interest in Malcolm Butler? So those are three names from – Pretty reliable sources saying the Texans are hot on the trail of two key offensive linemen and Malcolm Butler, a guy who had been a Pro Bowl corner and ran into some troubles this year with the Patriots. But again, there there were a number there were a number of things going on with that. Malcolm Butler thought he was going to New Orleans. He thought he was traded in New Orleans and had to go back to New England. Long story that happened back last offseason. Who knows what happened in all of that. But the Texans aren't the only ones. It sounds like the Saints and Colts both looking for corner help. The Saints do have Marshawn Lattimore, so I would think the Saints are not as desperate, but I know they like Malcolm Butler. They liked him last year. I think they would have liked to have had him in the playoff run this year against the Vikings. Uh, also down the stretch of the AFC South, I think they would have liked to have had Malcolm Butler. But they're in the mix. The Colts are in the mix. And the Colts have got some money to spend, and the Texans are in the mix for Malcolm Butler. So, those are the names at this point that have been connect the dots to the Houston Texans. Now, the man having to pull the trigger, making the calls, having the discussions, working the phones is first-year GM Brian Gain. He sat down with us at the Combine. We talked about this, the Senior Bowl, what's going on there at the Combine, and, of course, the draft that will follow in late April. Mark, take it away. Joining us right now at the NFL Scouting Combine is General Manager Brian Gain. Brian, how's it going? Great. Great, good to be here. We haven't visited with you formally since the introductory press conference, so just take us back to how things are going overall, adjusting and everything. So since the press conference, uh, naturally the Senior Bowl took place and we coached in it, which was a great advantage and opportunity for our coaches and scouts to descend on Mobile and gain great access and information to the players. Number two was uh, evaluate our roster, you know, start diving into evaluating you know, what we have, what we need offensively, defensively, and especially fourth down and special teams. And then number three was getting ready for our free agency meetings and our draft meetings. So it's been a whirlwind of a month in terms mm-hmm. of our preparation, but it was an organized plan and doing it with the coaches as well. So it's been a partnership between our scouts and coaches going through our free agency meetings. We just completed our our pre-combine February meetings, which lasted two weeks, and here we are in Indy. Was it an advantage, Brian, that you had been in the building for three years prior to to know the roster as you did, or did you want to take a completely clear look at it? How much of an advantage was that that you knew at least some of the players in the building? Great advantage. Certainly the, the evaluated part was uh, helping help me to be down the road already as related to what we had. Uh, as I stated earlier, uh, it took me about two weeks just to watch all the film to get through all of our players. Uh, the one thing that maybe perhaps I did have to catch up on is, is where we are contractually with players, where our, where, what our cap and cash situation is, so that we can put projections and models together for our off-season plan and our off-season blueprint. So how important is all this combine stuff as a part of the process when you evaluate the draftable players? Critically important uh, from the from the physical uh, performance standpoint, the the fall grade is critical to what you give the players uh, for what they're doing in pads. That's the mm-hmm. most important thing. This this has an impact on their their final grade, but you got to make sure you're grading them for what they are on, on the field and what mm-hmm. they do in between 
uh, September and, and December. The, the the most important phase for me here is getting to know these players, right. is, is knowing them from a personal standpoint to know exactly what we're getting when they come in the building. So from the personal character standpoint, from the football character standpoint, how they communicate, how they relate with the coaches, uh, how much football do they know, uh, how much, you know, how well do they learn. So all these things are critical. And then lastly, like we want to know, number one, how competitive they are right. and, and do they respond to competition because they're here with their peers and some of the top peers in the country. Um, and, and lastly, do they, I want to find out, do they, do they have passion for the game? One of the thing, sorry, Brian, yeah. one of the things that you said in your press conference that stayed with me is you talked about players. You said, what are you doing first down? What are you doing third down? What are you doing fourth down? From the time that you've started scouting till now, how has the analysis of that changed in that the game seems more specialized? We talk about nickel corners now and nickel and dime and all these different personnel groupings. How has it changed from when you started scouting until now, if it is at all, and how does it affect what guys do on first down, third down, fourth down? I think what's evolved since I first started scouting is the the, uh, the involvement of sub-package defense, sub-package offense, specialty players, role players, as it relates to nickel offense, nickel defense, dime offense, dime defense, where uh, multi-receiver sets, multi-back sets, multi-tight end sets, and maybe less of what the traditional standard personnel groupings were. That has an effect on defense. So if you're playing sub-package offense 40 to 50% of the time, the defense is going to reflect that as well, sub-package defense. So your player acquisition plan and process may have to evolve and adapt to the trends in the league. So therefore, you may need more pass rushers. You may need more coverage players. So when they go sub-offense, that you can match that on defense. Percentage-wise, if you're playing a lot of nickel and dime, if you're playing it 40 to 45% of the time, then that means your nickel and sub-package defenders and offensive players are on the field for what almost 50% of the snaps. Mm-hmm. Brian Kane with us at the scouting combine. So obviously you don't know who you're going to draft, but how does that affect what, whatever you think of the draft class in its entirety? How does that affect free agency and how you approach that? Or is there no effect at all? You just have to go for free agency or whatever you think of that class, if you will. Yeah, so, so free agency is, is a needs-driven market. It's, it's, it's more or less when, when you need something, you, you may go down that road if the opportunity presents itself. Whereas the draft, theoretically, you're hoping you're always drafting best available. So free agency may be like, hey, I need A, I need B, I need C, so let's see what's available to us in free agency and and decide if you pursue it. But number two, it has to make fiscal sense. It has to make economic sense for us to do it as well. So we're we're never mortgaging the future. Um, That careful balance of knowing what's available in free agency and matching it to the draft, once you complete your free agency meetings in January and February, and once you complete your draft meetings in February, you then have a better understanding before free agency starts in the middle of March to know where the draft may be heavy or light, where there may be opportunities to satisfy that need that perhaps you don't have to pursue it in free agency because I see that opportunity in rounds four and five to add that specific player. Maybe we don't have to do this business in free agency because I see this opportunity in the second, third round with the cluster of players that we have here, and that's how you mesh the blueprint together. Brian, you're in Buffalo. We missed you while you were away, by the way. We'll just Thank let you, you know that. You we too, did John. miss you. It was a pretty interesting year that you guys had in Buffalo, but you had the opportunity to get to see some of the college players already. How has that helped 
in the evaluation of these college players that you talked about and that you started in your draft meetings in February? Exponentially. It helped exponentially. I felt like I had a good grasp of the draft walking back in into our building here in Houston. And that was the major role that I had as the VP of personnel at the Bills was to see all the top players in the country last year. And I was able to do that by November or December uh, and equally see all the top free agents. So the role that I had there has positioned me to at least walk back into the Texans building and to be 10 steps down the road based on what's available in the market via the draft and via free agency. How's the transition going for you, your family, getting back into the Houston area? It's a unique circumstance, just yeah. having moved nine months ago and now coming back. But uh, the family won't come until the, the school year ends mm-hmm. in Buffalo. I, I do want to state, though, like the, the experience in Buffalo and Orchard Park was a special experience, a lot because of the season. But the people of Buffalo are a special fan base and, and, mm-hmm. and special people. But we're excited to come back to Houston. We loved living here for the three years that we were here. A little unique circumstance because the family can't come just right now. But we're looking forward to reinserting ourselves into the community. And one more for you, Brian. What do you think of the evolution of the Combine and all this growth? <laughs> <laughs> well, I try to keep my focus on players yeah. and, and, and the, the, the evaluative part of it. I know there's, there's, there's a big part of this that's, that's important for the league and the growth mm-hmm. of, of our sport and the popularity of our sport. Hopefully it's a reflection of how popular it is mm-hmm. in our culture today. But uh, just try to keep my focus on the players and the evaluative portion of it. There's a lot of work to get done here right. in six or seven days. And it's not just the evaluative part. It's the interviews. It's the medical. Mm. It's the all-encompassing evaluation. All right, Brian, thanks a lot for joining us. Good luck. Appreciate you. That was a great opportunity for Mark and myself to catch up with the first-year GM. Brian Gain. I say first year as GM. He's been here for three years. So he knew this roster. And that, I would imagine that was, as he said, extremely important. But the flip side of it is that the player you saw in 2016 might not have been the same player at the end of 2017. So Brian had to go study. And he has definitely done that. He talked about his free agent board, getting that all ready to go. And they are, they're hot and heavy after it. The Texans with some money to spend, some holes to fill, and no first or second round pick, making noise this free agent offseason. Now, there are plenty of myths that were out there this weekend. A lot of things I saw end up on my Twitter handle. I'm going to try and answer some questions and shoot down, I don't know, shoot down some myths, but I'm going to play Myth Buster next right here on Texans All Access. One final segment of Texans All Access on this free agent frenzy Monday. A lot of things happening, starting to sort of toned down a little bit. But then again, these deals can come together in a short amount of time. They can come together overnight. They can come together over the span of a couple of days. But keep in mind, nothing is official until Wednesday. Nothing becomes official until Wednesday. And that obviously was lost on a number of people, and I'm going to get into this in a little bit, just rifling through my Twitter feed, at Football. You want to follow me? Great. If not, I'm not going to lose any sleep. But, you know, the more the merrier. You come on and talk some football with me. I will read everything. I don't always get a chance to respond to everything because that sometimes sometimes I look at some of the tweets I get and go, okay, to explain this, it's going to take a little bit of time. And that sort of got me to this segment. And let's just say it's myth-busting with a side of question answering. How about that? We'll call it that because there's some things that people are throwing out there on Twitter, and I don't know that it's – now, look, it's not like John McClain's hundreds of thousands of followers and he's throwing something out there willy-nilly. I mean, some people are throwing it out to their 25 followers. But that said, 
the fact that it's out there makes me think, what? Really? So uh, let's let's go with it. Let's start with John, who put in all caps in response, I think, to the offensive line video, which, by the way, somebody said, why even put that up? There's nothing in that video that said Nick Morton is the cornerstone. What else did you want me to say after this past year? I mean, honestly. So John says, in all caps, draft Desmond Harrison. I will take a hard pass. First of all, he left Texas, was asked to leave. I've heard two different heard two different sides of that. He went to the senior bowl, he's still dealing with the injury. He was two seventy nine. He went to the combine, he was two ninety two. Now he's athletic, and I watched him at the combine too, down on the field. That's one of the things that I have an opportunity to do when I'm there is I watch guys, I watch how they react to things, I watch how they react to being coached and those things. Say there would be other guys a little higher on my list if the Texans are going to draft an offensive tackle. Desmond Harrison would end up being a project. Is he going to maintain the weight? Was behind his leaving Texas. I'm not all that. I'm not all that hell bent on Desmond Harrison. Uh, this from Yama in response to that same video it said, "Trade for someone, please." Now here's the thing. As I said, nothing becomes official, but when your team is coming off four and twelve year, and they don't have a first or second round pick. And I don't even know that that would be the formula, to be honest with you, because I've seen even last year coming off a AFC South championship, all got all the way to the divisional playoff round and got a playoff win. People were freaking out when other teams were doing things. Now the Texans didn't have a ton of money in, in to to spend last off season, and so they were just. Fingers crossed that, well, maybe Tony Romo. And, of course, Tony Romo went to CBS Sports. And then it was like, it's kind of crickets at that point. And people were freaking out. And some of it came to fruition. I don't know that what they did or didn't do in the offseason last year, they got a 4-12 and season. I think if guys would have stayed healthy, I think this definitely was a a double-digit win team. That said, people just want to know their team is doing something, which blows my mind because – Whatever you see in the media, us talking about it, sources say, rumors are, that's all they are. They're just rumors. That's it. But it doesn't mean, if it's quiet, it doesn't mean that working like crazy in private are Brian Gain, Bill O'Brien, the personnel staff, the coaching staff to find players. I just always, it, it amazes me. Trade for someone, please. I, I don't know. I don't know that I can I can go with that. This from Twitter handle is at Leo Anders. He says, I'm watching the Rams and Browns making all kinds of moves to better their teams. Nothing but crickets from the Texans camp. Pathetic. All right. Let me let me handle this. And this was kind of one that really really got me a little bit. As I just said, they may be working the phones, and I guarantee you they are. I guarantee you they're here. They're talking to free agents. They're in that legal tampering period, which is sort of an oxymoron, but either way. They're doing those things. Well, make a trade. Okay, first of all, what are you what are you going to trade? You don't have a first or second round pick. You've got eight picks. So if you're going to give up a couple of picks to go get a player, then you better damn well sure know that the player you're trading for is the perfect fit for your team. The Browns, what do the Browns have to lose by making a deal or two 
or three. Browns are 0-16. They should be throwing stuff up against the wall and seeing if it sticks. The Texans were not going to trade for Marcus Peters. They were not going to trade for Aqib Tlaib. They were not going to do it. Deal with it, people. They were not going to trade for those guys. They just weren't. Tlaib said he was going two places, and it was well known throughout the league that Marcus Peters wanted to go to California. Last I looked, Houston's in Texas. They weren't getting either one of those guys. They had their sights set, as we found out, to talk to Malcolm Butler. Now, is Malcolm in the class with Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib? Who knows? I don't think he's of that caliber, but he's pretty darn close. And if he's not the headache those two are, but, I mean, who knows? That's what they've got to find out. That's what they have to find out. And with Malcolm Butler, they're bringing in a guy, if they do, that knows the system, can step right in. He doesn't have to learn everything from jump. He doesn't have this past history. And he isn't a guy that said, I don't want to go to Houston. Or I want to go to another place. Like Marcus Peters said, like Aqib Tlaib said, I'm going to Belichick or I'm going to Wade Phillips. That was it. He turned down a trade to San Francisco, and everybody's going to San Francisco. So this whole thing about trade for someone. Why weren't they in on those corners? They needed a corner. Look, it's not as simple as I drive a Ford truck. My Ford truck has gone into the shop. I'm going to go over to Enterprise and rent a Ford truck. It's not that simple. Well, what does Enterprise have? Well, maybe Enterprise has jacked up the rates on the Ford trucks. Maybe they don't have any Ford trucks. Maybe the only one they have is a Ford truck with a broken door. Or maybe that Ford truck only has a California license plate and can only run in California. It isn't that simple. These things are complex. Team chemistry is way more complex than people give it credit. Why now do you think the Texans go to the Greenbrier? And a big part of that is for team chemistry. If you're wondering why Marcus Peters has gone off to L.A. or going to be off to L.A. on Wednesday when the new league year starts, think about that. Think about how delicate a balance that is between having a guy that can make some plays and tearing up the locker room or dividing the locker room. And he may not even know he's doing it, but either way, out of my soapbox about that. Um, Rob says, word is they're planning to make a huge push for Malcolm Butler on Monday, and it sounds like they're in the mix with the Colts and the Saints. So when I first saw that, I was like, well, you know that to be true? I need to get with Rob a little bit. Rob seems to know some stuff. Uh, And then Leo says, yeah, I heard that too, along with acquiring Graham. He's a little old, but the man still has it. Uh, I would imagine that Jimmy Graham is going to be awfully expensive The Saints have shown interest. He has shown interest in the Saints. I would imagine that maybe the Texans made a call to see what he's looking at, but I would imagine that making a run at Jimmy Graham is not not conducive to what the Texans' needs are at this point. And, yes, I know people will tell me this, and I get it. What about CJ? What about Ryan? They both had concussion issues. I get it. I understand. But to me, your priorities are, number one, offensive line, number two, secondary. When you satisfy those and you still got some money to go shopping, go shop for a tight end at that point. But until then, I think that you've got to satisfy the offensive line. But having a tight end that can catch, and that guy can, he can act as a slot receiver. I get your thought process. 
But if your offensive line doesn't protect your quarterback, you're not throwing the ball anywhere. And this offensive line has got to get better. Now, after you have made a play for Zach Fulton, Nate Solder, you're in. Look, you can. There was a question I got over the weekend about Eric Ebron with the Detroit Lions. I don't think Ebron would be as expensive as Jimmy Graham. I think Graham's going to, with a few Pro Bowls under his belt, he's going to be more expensive. So if you're in on Zach Fulton and you're in on Nate Solder and you're in on Butler, maybe you could look at Ebron. But Ebron ain't going to block anybody, and Graham's definitely not going to block anybody. You need somebody in that tight end position that can block, knock somebody back off the ball. That's what CJ could do. And I've seen Griff around the building a number of times, so my hope is that Griff's going to be able to come back. And again, I've said it before. Halfway through the season when you didn't know you were going to have uh, – well, I shouldn't say it that way because you did know that CJ was struggling with the concussions. But when he got the, the final one that put him on IR for the year, that's when I started worrying about next year. And I've worried about it with Ryan because of his concussions as well, but he had the one near the end of the year, and that was going to set him, set him back for uh, some – Significant number of weeks, so at that point they put him on IR. I agree with you. The tight end position could be problematic. It could be problematic. But it doesn't mean you're going to throw a bunch of money at Jimmy Graham and get a guy that, yeah, well, he can get, well, look, you've got receiving options. You've got plenty of receiving options. What you don't have is somebody that can sit there right next to a tackle and combo block with a tackle or zone block and knock a defensive end backwards. That's what you hope you could get CJ back to do. And you certainly don't want to pay a Jimmy Graham price tag to be able to put a guy next to a tackle and block somebody. Rob Hausler, Arizona Cardinals, he was a guy just like that. He would catch a pass every blue moon, but, man, he was going to beat you up in the run. That's a guy I would love to have, love to have. Jimmy Graham, I get it. Would I love to have Jimmy Graham? Yes, if my offensive line was set, if my secondary was set, and I got 60-plus million, yeah, heck yeah, go after Jimmy Graham and turn this offense up and get it lit, get it turned. But you don't. You have holes in your offensive line and in your secondary that you must fix this year. Get that taken care of. And Jimmy Graham or Eric Ebron are still out there? All right, then go for it. But until then, and those holes are filled, I'll feel much better if they attack those areas, offensive line, secondary. And look, there's some tight ends in this draft. That you can find obviously cheap. That give you some athleticism. Keep in mind, Jimmy Graham was a third-round pick. So Texas will do it in the third round. But if you start filling some holes, maybe there's opportunity to do that in the third round. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll have more for you tomorrow. Who knows what will happen overnight that we'll be talking about tomorrow. But it's free agent frenzy week culminating on Wednesday. We'll have plenty for you then as well. But we'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Thanks for listening. And as always, go Texans.